We are in Yavamos Tzadi Beis, Amen Aleph 92a, as we begin a new Mishnah, the second Mishnah of this parak of this chapter. And the first Mishnah discussed the case where uh, one witness or two witnesses, they testify that somebody died, and then the, the wife then uh, marries somebody else, and then the husband comes back. And so originally the court gave... Uh, a ruling that she's allowed to go ahead and get married, but it was uh, the wrong ruling because they didn't have the correct facts. And really the husband was alive the whole time. So our Mishnah is now playing off other cases which are very similar. Also cases where uh, the base in the court makes a certain ruling based on uh, false, uh, false uh, testimony and the implications of that, and also similar to in the sense that this is a testimony about uh, somebody dying. So we'll discuss, I believe, three cases in the Mishnah. Case number one. So if you have a, a, a woman whose husband and son and child, they go off traveling, and now, uh, witnesses come and they say that your husband died first, and then your son died. Why do we care about the order? We care about the order because if the son were to die first, and then the husband, and this was their only child, so then if the son died first, that means the husband died afterwards, second, without any children, and then there's an obligation to do Yibam Rechalitza. And so it connects to the concept of Yibam Rechalitza that uh, there would be an obligation to do that. Here, the witnesses said the opposite. They said that the son died, uh, sorry, the, the husband died first with a child. At the time that he died, he died with a child. And then afterwards, the child died. So then, according to what the witnesses said, there's absolutely no obligation to do Yibam or Chalitza. In fact, you wouldn't be allowed to marry your brother-in-law. So what does she do? She goes ahead and marries somebody else. But then afterwards, it's revealed that both of them did die, but they died in the opposite order. Once they died in the opposite order, uh, so then... She was not really allowed to get married without doing Yibam or Chalitza. That's the rule. She's not allowed to get married to somebody else before she does Yibam or Chalitza. So the ruling is that she has to leave her current um, marriage um, and the children that she had from that marriage are Mamzerim. As we will see in the Gemara, first and, first and last that's mentioned in the Mishnah means any children she has, whether it's before uh, the second uh, pair of witnesses come, or if it's after, it doesn't make a difference. Any children she has from the from uh, from that marriage, the children are mamzerim. Now, it's important to note that uh, when the wife uh, goes ahead and gets married to somebody else, so her husband actually died uh, before she went to marry somebody else. It's just a question of uh, it's it's the fact that she has to do yibum or chalitza first before she marries somebody else. Now, to marry somebody else. Is, it, is not a severe negative commandment with kares, with an early death, but it's an ordinary negative commandment. And uh, we mentioned this a few times, that when there's an ordinary negative commandment, the chachamim, the majority, are of the opinion that the child is not a mamzer. So why is the child a mamzer in this case? So this is also something which will be discussed in the Gemara, is that it's only going to it's only going according to the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is of the opinion that even when it comes to an ordinary negative commandment, um, the child is a mamzer. So when it says that the child is a mamzer here, it's not a severe negative commandment with an early death. 
It's an ordinary negative commandment, but nevertheless, it's going, we are going according to the opinion of Rabbi Kiva, who says that the child would be a mamzer in that case as well. Okay, that's case number one. Case number two is the opposite. Uh, case number two is Amrullah Mace Benech Vachar Mace Bailech Venis Yama Vachar Amrullah Hilufayot Varm Tete Vavlar Rishon Vachar and Mamzer. So in this case, they first uh, testify and they say that the son died first and then the husband died, which means that she's obligated to do even or Chalitza. According to that testimony, the husband died and they were childless. Uh, so they have to do Yibam or Chalitza. She has to do Yibam or Chalitza. So she chooses to do Yibam. So she does Yibam with her brother in law. Then what comes out is that there's testimony that no, really it was flipped. And really, the husband died when they had children. If the husband died when they had children, even though the child dies later on, that doesn't make a difference. And so there was really no obligation to do Yibam. If there's no obligation to do Yibam, not, not only is there no obligation to do Yibam, but actually it's forbidden because you're marrying your brother-in-law outside the context of a mitzvah. Uh, marrying your brother-in-law is a very severe prohibition. And so therefore, we say you have to get divorced, you have to separate. And... The children are also mamzerim, and in this case, the children would be mamzerim because it's your brother-in-law. The brother to, to marry a brother-in-law is a severe negative commandment. So, according to everybody, um, the children would be mamzerim. Case number three: Amrulah meis bailech v'nises v'achach amrulah kaim haya v'meis teitiv avlad rishon mamzer v'achron ena mamzer. Case number three is where they testify and they say that the husband died, so she goes ahead and marries somebody else. Then they come back and they say, you know what? The husband was really around at the time that you were married. But he's, he's no longer alive now. He, he didn't die at the time that they originally said that he died. He really died more recently. So in such a case, we say that you still have to leave your, your new husband. The reason why you have, to leave, you have to leave your new husband is because there still was a point in time where you weren't allowed to be with your new husband because you were still married. Because at the time of the marriage to this quote-unquote second husband, that wasn't a real marriage. Because your first husband was really alive, and it was it was only false testimony that said that um, that said that the husband was not alive, but really the husband was alive. Uh, however, so you do have to you do have to leave that husband. Nevertheless, uh, children from before uh, the husband died, so then those children would be viewed as mamzerim because those are children from essentially. Um, it was under duress, but it was a form of, a, of adultery under duress. Uh, she didn't realize about it. She, did, she was relying upon the witnesses. But any children that she has after the husband died, so then that's not, uh, the children are not mamzerim because she's no longer, she would no longer be viewed as committing adultery. Her husband already passed away. So that is case number three. Finally, sorry, there are four cases. Case number four in the Mishnah. Amrullah meis ba'alech v'nizkat shevachach ba'ba'ila mutaris l'achso afipishinasun l'achron get l'opasla minakuhuna the last case is where the witnesses said that your husband died. She does not get fully married. She only gets halachically engaged. She does kiddushin, which is a halachic engagement. They do not have any sexual relations at all. That only takes place after the actual marriage. And as a result of that, she's allowed to return back to her first husband. When the husband, If the case is where the husband comes back, he himself comes back, and he's alive... So if they actually got married, that was the previous Mishnah, because she had sexual relations with uh, this other man. So all the various laws apply from the previous Mishnah. But in this case, she was never she was never fully married. They never had sexual relations. It was just a halachic engagement. And as such, she's allowed to return back to her first husband, even if, says the Mishnah, 
Her first husband was a Kohen, let's say. Let's say her first husband was a Kohen. And the second husband, who's not really a husband because they were never actually married, but the second man, uh, even if he gives a divorce document to her and a Kohen is not allowed to marry somebody who's divorced, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Simple. Because the verse says that you have to get divorced from your husband. He's not your husband. You were never married to him. He, he was, you were always married. Your husband was, was your actual husband was, has been alive the whole time. You thought you were getting married to this other person, but in fact, in reality, you weren't because your husband was alive the whole time. So these are the four cases of the Mishnah. Again, the first two cases are cases of potential Yibam Rechalitza, where the witnesses uh, originally uh, falsely testify about the order, who died first, the son or the, or the husband. Case number three is a case where they first testify that the husband died, but then really they come back and they say he was alive, but he died at a later point in time. And then the last case is where they testify that the husband died. He returns, but in the meantime, she didn't get fully married, but she was halakhically engaged. Okay. Says the Gemara. We're going to start the Gemara now. My Rishon Umay Achron. When it says in the Mishnah, it says that the children are mamzerim from the first and the last. What does it mean the first and the last? Uh, especially if she gets if she did Yibam, the case where she thought that she was supposed to do Yibam because the child died first and then the, and then the husband died. So she's, uh, she does Yibam. There's only one, uh, one person that she's dealing with. Her husband's dead. Uh, and she did Yibam to the brother-in-law. So who else? There aren't multiple people that we could be dealing with here. So what does it mean first and last? If it's because about to tell us that uh, the children, both before the testimony and after the testimony, they're all mamzerim. So then just don't say first and last. Just say that the children are mamzerim. You don't have to make it so complicated. Just say all the children are mamzerim in this case. Uh, so the Gemara answers, no. The reason why we have first and last, really, we don't need it. In the first two cases, it's really unnecessary. First and last, is mean, it means all the children from this other man that uh, uh, she was married to and she wasn't supposed to be married to him, all those children are mamzerim. If it's the brother-in-law, so then the outside, in the end of the day, it was outside the context of Ibam, you're marrying your brother-in-law, children are mamzerim, because it's a severe, it's a severe prohibition. If it's the other case where she thought that she could get married to somebody else because they had children at the time of the husband's death, uh, so she married somebody else, but then it comes out that really she had to do Yibam or Chalitza. So there the children are also Mamzerim, which the Gemara will explain why in a minute. As we pointed out in the Mishnah, it's because we're following Rabbi Kiva, who says even though it's not a severe prohibition, it's just marrying somebody else when you're still waiting to do Yibam or Chalitza. So according to Rabbi Kiva, the children are Mamzerim. The reason why we're mentioning first and last, really it's not necessary in the beginning of the Mishnah. The reason why it's mentioning it, it's really just for the third case, because there is a first and last in the third case, and so therefore, because the language is used first and last in the third case, we use the same language for the first two cases. What's the third case? The third case is where they say that the husband died, and then the new witness come and they say, it's true the husband died, but the husband didn't die at the time that you thought he died. He died much later. And so there, it makes a difference. So all the children that she had from before the husband's death, those children are mamzerim, because uh, she essentially committed adultery uh, against her will. Uh, but all the children that happened after the husband's death, so then the children are certainly not Mamzerim. She was not married at the time because uh, the husband died. And that's why we need that language of first and last. It's really only for that one case, for the third, for case number three. Okay. Says the Gemara, Tanar It is taught in Abraisa. 
This Mishnah can only be going according to Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva who says that when it comes to an ordinary negative commandment, such as what she did, she thought that she could marry somebody else because her husband died, she thought, with children. They had children. She, she married somebody else. Comes out from later testimony that no, her husband died without children. They were childless because the child died before the husband died. Uh, so then she wasn't really allowed to get married to this person because she still has to do even Rechalitza. That's an ordinary negative commandment. It's going according to Rabbi Kiva because Rabbi Kiva is of the opinion, and again, many times these two ideas are linked, that A, by an ordinary negative commandment, such as this one, or a Kohen to a divorcee or the high priest to a widow, all of those cases, it doesn't even work. The attempt to get married, the attempt to get engaged will not work. It won't work. Not only will it not work, also the children will be mamzerim. That's the position of Rabbi Kiva. The Chachamim, uh, the majority, they argue. They say that no, the only time that there's no Tfisus Kedushin, that there's no, the, the marriage and the engagement doesn't take place, or the fact that uh, the children are mamzerim, that only applies if it's a severe prohibition, like uh, basically limited to incest and to uh, adultery. But any other case where it's an ordinary negative commandment, so then uh, it, it won't create uh, the child to be a mamzer. So this Mishnah can only be according to Rabbi Akiva. But the Chachamim, the Chachamim say, no, there is no mamzer in a case of a Yevama, of a woman who marries somebody else before she does even Rechelitza. So the Gemara points out, I understand, this is just a side point, Velema in mamzer mechai be'lavin. Why don't we say, when we say the Chachamim, the majority, why don't they say the majority holds that by an ordinary negative commandment, the child is not a mamzer? Why do they use the language by, in this case of Yibam, the child is not a mamzer? Um, so the Gemara answers, no, So they explain, the Gemara explains that even within Rabbi Akiva, who says that by an ordinary negative commandment, the child is a mamzer, there are different opinions within Rabbi Kiva, and we've had this actually earlier in this tractate. There are different opinions within Rabbi Kiva. Some opinions within Rabbi Kiva say always, for all negative commandments, the child is a mamzer, which is the first position of Rabbi Kiva. Then when we say the Chachamim, it doesn't really mean the sages, but it really means this other position within Rabbi Kiva is that it's not only an ordinary negative commandment, but it has to be an ordinary negative commandment that has to do with uh, a prohibition within the, about marrying a, a relative. Specifically in the context of relatives. This has nothing to do with relatives. This is marrying somebody else. Nothing to do with relatives. And so, according to this approach within Rabbi Kiva, not even within the Chachamim, not even within the majority, but within this unique approach within Rabbi Kiva, here too the child would not be a mamzer. Because what is she doing? She's marrying somebody else before she does even Merchalitza. That's nothing to do with uh, relatives. That's not, that's not about a, a prohibition to marry, to marry relatives. She's not marrying a relative. She's just marrying somebody else before she does Yibam or Chalitza. Okay, that is what the Gemara says. So we've discussed so far uh, the fact that the mission is going according to Rabbi Kiva, that the child is a mamzer, even by an ordinary negative commandment. And what was the case? The case was uh, where she's supposed to do Yibam Rechalitza, and she doesn't do Yibam Rechalitza, instead she marries somebody else. Now the Gemara, even within the majority opinion, is going to have the following dispute. In general, according to the majority opinion, in order for there to be a situation where the kedushin, the engagement, does not work, you attempt to have an engagement because it's, there's a prohibition, it doesn't work, only applies if it's a very severe prohibition, such as one where it's uh, deserving of karis, of, uh, of an early death. 
Um, in such a case, so then the engagement itself won't even work. You could attempt, and the, the prohibition's on the attempt, but it won't actually work. That's, a, that's true in the majority of cases. There are a few cases where the engagement won't work at all, even though it's not with a severe prohibition. For example, to marry a non-Jew. To marry a non-Jew, the attempt, it won't work. Halakhically, it's not recognized, even though the prohibition is not, uh, is not as severe. Uh, now the Gemara is going to say that maybe there's another case, and that's our case that we're dealing with here right now. Right now we're dealing with the case where a woman is supposed to be doing Yibam Rechalitza. Instead of doing Yibam Rechalitza, she marries somebody else before she does Yibam Rechalitza. She still has this Zika, this connection to her brother-in-law, but uh, uh, or maybe even a connection to her deceased husband, perhaps, some sort of connection there. And, and so therefore she's not allowed to marry... Um, marry somebody from the outside. So the question is, will that marriage be recognized? Even though it's not allowed, there are many marriages which are not allowed, which are still recognized according to halacha, meaning you, you can't stay married, you require a divorce document, but it's halachically recognized, such as the cases we mentioned before, a Kohen marrying a Grusha, marrying somebody who uh, is divorced. It's not allowed. If they attempt to do it, it is halach- halachically, it's recognized as marriage. They have to get divorced. They're not allowed to stay married. They have to get divorced. So in our case also, is it that it's halakhically recognized as a marriage and they have to get divorced, or that it's not even recognized, even though it's an ordinary negative commandment? And the vast majority of the time, an ordinary negative commandment is halakhically recognized, perhaps based on uh, a special way to, to read the verse, uh, to expand upon the verse, uh, this would be different. This case would be different. Now, before we even get to the Gemara, why would this case be different? Why, uh, of all the negative commandments, why would this case be different than other uh, ordinary negative commandments. So perhaps, perhaps the idea is that this case, it's true, it's an ordinary negative commandment because uh, if a person commits, if a woman commits adultery when she's fully married, so that leads to a very severe punishment of kares, of an early death. Um, uh, but it, it at least leads to a, a severe punishment. Um, but in our case, she's not fully married. Her husband died. She just has this connection to her brother-in-law. So, but still, in the end of the day, one could explain that she has some sort of connection, either still to her deceased husband or to her brother-in-law, and that connection prevents her from marrying uh, somebody else. So perhaps this still would fall under the category of erva, of really a, a prohibition because of through marriage, and that because she's married, it's some form of adultery. And so therefore, that's why maybe the marriage is not recognized, even though it's an ordinary negative commandment, but it still has some aspects of adultery. So let's see this in the Gemara itself. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Rav. Rav says, Minayin she'en kedushin tosin b'yavama. How do we know that the marriage is not recognized? Rav is of the opinion that the marriage is not recognized if she marries somebody before she does Yimur Chalitza, meaning her husband died, they don't have children, she's supposed to do Yimur Chalitza, and instead of doing that, she marries somebody else. How do we know that it's not even recognized? Based on the verse, Shinamar Losiya Eishas Amesa Chutza Leish Zar Lotiya Bahavai Lazar. The verse says that the, the wife of the deceased husband should not go out to somebody else. And not only does it mean not to go to somebody else, but it means it's not even recognized, not recognized as a marriage. Shmuel Amar, Shmuel argues, at least he says, Bani Yosinu Tricha Get, Mesakele Shmuel Ha'ilotziya, Eishas Ames, Ilalav Hudasa, Idilotavsi, Bakidushin Hudasa. Shmuel's not sure. Shmuel doesn't know, he's not, he's not sure. He doesn't know how to read the verse. Is the verse saying that it's not recognized as a marriage, or is the verse saying that this is just a negative commandment? Uh, so that's unclear within Shmuel, and so therefore Shmuel says, because we're not sure, we should require a divorce document. But the big ramification is, everybody agrees, 
if it's not if they're not allowed to stay married, they're not allowed to stay married. The whole question is: Do you require a divorce document? Is, that, is it halakhically recognized to the point where you require a divorce document? So Shmuel says, out of concern, we're not really sure, but out of concern, if she went ahead, she's supposed to be doing yibum or chalitza. She went ahead and married somebody else. So we say uh, you have to uh, you have to have a divorce document because we're not really sure. So this is a big dispute between Rav and Shmuel. Rav says you don't even need a divorce document; it's not even recognized as a marriage. Shmuel says, no, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe it is recognized as marriage. And so therefore we have to have a divorce document. They have to get divorced. says to This is what Amemar said. We follow the position of Shmuel that we're concerned. We see that we're concerned to say that uh, we require a divorce document in such, in such a case. So it comes along with Ravashi. And this is the last couple of lines that we'll do for today. Now that we say that we're concerned for Shmuel, who himself is not sure, but he himself says, out of just concern, we require a divorce document. Now that we say that, let's say her brother-in-law, so again, the case is where her husband died. She's supposed to be doing Yimur Chalitza with her brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law, let's say, is a Kohen. Her husband was a Kohen, and her husband's brother is a Kohen. Okay, so before she does even Rechalitza, she marries somebody else. Shmuel says, you have to get divorced. Out of concern, you have to get divorced. Whoa, if you have to get divorced, so then, if she gets divorced, so then she can't do Yibam with the, with the Kohen. She can't do Yibam with her brother-in-law who's a Kohen. A Kohen is not allowed to marry somebody who's divorced. So Ravashi says, oh, I have a way to get around all of this. It's true, you can't end up doing Yibam with your brother-in-law. But while you are currently married, and it's halakhically recognized as a marriage with your with this other man, not your brother-in-law. So let your brother-in-law do chalitza. He'll do the form of chalitza while you're still halakhically sort of married to this other man. Let him let him do chalitza so that at least you can stay married to your current husband. Uh, because if if the brother-in-law was in a kohen, so then we'll say, okay, leave that husband, marry the, do, brother, do yibam with your brother-in-law. But now since uh, you have to require a divorce document, so you can't do yibam with your brother-in-law, so we'll say, fine, let's do the opposite. Let your brother-in-law do chalitza with you. Stay married to the second man. Uh, to that, the Gemara responds, I don't understand. What, we're going to have her benefit? What kind of suggestion is this? She, she married somebody uh, improperly. It's true. It was, she, didn't, she didn't know. She was relying on the witnesses. But in the end of the day, she, she married somebody improper. It was an improper marriage. It, wasn't, uh, it, it uh, might be halakhically recognized, perhaps, but it, it wasn't allowed. We're going to tell it. We're going to give some advice to say how she could stay married. How could this be? So the Gemara really says, Really, this is what he meant to say. He really meant to say as follows. Not dealing with a Kohen. He's just saying that uh, if this were to be the case, so then the, the husband that she married, she ended up marrying when she wasn't supposed to, he should give her a get, according to Shmuel, a divorce document. And then she, in fact, is allowed to do Yibam with her brother-in-law. It would be permissible for her to do Yilom with her brother-in-law because the brother-in-law is not a Kohen. And it would be permissible. We don't say that just because you have to get divorced from the, from the, from the man that she married, that therefore she can no longer do Yibam that, uh, with her brother-in-law. No, she's allowed to do Yibam with her brother-in-law. There's no problem with that at all. That is what Ravashi says. And th- that's the conclusion uh, for this part of the Gemara. We'll continue with this discussion in the next recording.